Welcome to Pop On Leadership, a conversation with two friends who are obsessed with leadership development and the world of pop culture. So we decided to combine the two. I'm Kara Kirby. And I'm Virginia Martinez. We work with organizations all over the world to inspire and implement people-first practices. We're here to talk about navigating the workplace, and we do it through the lens of great television. Our first two seasons are dedicated to Ted Lasso. Join us as we unpack the leadership lessons in each episode. Let's get into it. Welcome back, everybody. This is season two, episode six of Pop On Leadership, and we are talking about season two, episode six of Ted Lasso called The Signal. Okay, so where we last left off, Roy joined the coaching team and where this episode kicks off is you hear a lot of commentators talking about that Roy Kent effect, that Roy Kent effect. As you can imagine, Nate's not loving it. He doesn't, he suddenly feels like he's in the shadow of Roy. What's it going to take? So that's one big theme here, sort of Nate reacting to um, Roy's return, as well as Beard and Jane are off again, on again, off again, on again. And there's this moment where you can tell the rest of the coaching staff just thinks it's a terrible idea that they're back together. And Higgins is the only one who's like, guys, we need to tell him like, you know, this is this might not be the best idea. So that sort of unpacks in all of this, too. All right. Um, Where do you want to start, Kara? Well, the other piece that's happening here that I think is really important, and I think it's an important conversation for us to have and an important conversation just to have for our listeners is that Rebecca's mom comes to town. Yes, yes. So what I think that they have done with Rebecca's mother is given us a character that shows us what a narcissistic parent looks like. Ooh. But so Rebecca's mom comes and and so her mom is has said that she's leaving Rebecca's dad and she, now she needs Rebecca. So she's at her house. And then throughout the episode, we see that like she's not interested in Rebecca, that mm-hmm. she is just like she just wants Rebecca there because she needs her. And Rebecca just is she's just numb to the situation. Mm-hmm. And, and I don't know if you noticed this, but it's like, oh, I'm going out with my girls and we're going to talk about this Brene Brown book. And it's and it's always about her mom. Like she's never asking Rebecca any questions. Mm-hmm. It's just like, mm-hmm. it's woe is me. And she's trapped in the same cycle. And um, I don't know. I just think it's really telling about Rebecca that she's mm-hmm. got she's just she's got a very she's got a narcissistic mother and 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 you know that it happens a lot of people do well i i didn't know this is i didn't know we were going to go here and i like that you bring it up um one because it reminds me of one of the best lines in this episode where rebecca's like ted change your lunch plans you're coming to lunch with me my mom and then the mom starts shouting these just like yes very like great we don't want to say crazy but like a little like quirky things out the window and uh ted says gosh i love meeting people's moms it's like a a manual into understanding why they're crazy (laughs) you know like and so you're right we start getting this glimpse into rebecca that um and she also mentions sort of how this has been going on since she was in in university that she probably had to pair she had to be the more mature one very early on Mm-hmm. That she sort of there's those situations where sometimes you have to parent your parent, mm-hmm. um, 
And that I think that probably led to Rebecca trying to be so independent or reserved or not opening up, right? Because if you are surrounded by someone like Rebecca's mom, who's always the victim in every story. (laughs) And I think, I think so many people have been given this image of mothers through media that like a mother is selfless and that she is like always there to just do anything for children and be a listening ear. And if your mother is not like that, it's very confusing to you. Right. Like I have a wonderful mother, but she was never like that. And, and I was always like, am I the only one that has like has a mom that doesn't make like gift baskets? (laughs) Mm Yeah. But at the but on the other side of that, like she was, you know, she she's an artist, so she was like really into her career. She's like a like she takes no shit from anybody. So it's like I still I still learned a lot of lessons of who I am today, but it was not that warm mother figure. And I know that, that that's getting off here, but I'm just saying that like this conversation around rethinking the like if you do have a narcissistic parent. A lot of people do. So I just want to normalize that. And then also, if you have a parent that it just doesn't fit into the box that like you think that they're supposed to be, as soon as you let go of those expectations, it's really helpful in life for your own healing process. Yeah, no, I do think it fits in because what also is happening in this episode, when we have a certain mental model, or when we are force fed this image of what a perfect mom should be, or a perfect boss, or a perfect mm-hmm. leader, when something does not fit into that model, we think we are doing something wrong. Yeah. Right. Or we think or we, we feel are getting, alone. Or we feel alone, or we feel like we're getting the short end of the stick, or like something, right? And so normalizing actually that there is no one norm is probably a better approach to then trying to create these false idols of what a leader or mother or parent should be. So yeah, I totally get it. Cause that comes up, you know, I know our, our buddy Nate is struggling with something very similar. Yeah, totally. He, he can't um, really make sense of the, the, this leader image that he's been, kind of force fed his entire life probably through like action movies who knows (laughs) um he's in a lot of pain too yeah and you know what what's interesting it's like nate and rebecca like they both have parents that are that are not actual parents to them right and instead of like a maybe not Rebecca, but Nate hasn't gone there yet. Like Nate hasn't realized that connection that like my parent, my dad's just an asshole. He's still trying to get his dad to be a dad, but his dad's an asshole. Right. And like, it's like, you like, those are both examples of like, I need to, um, like, I need to stop having these expectations of my parents. I need to see them. I need to see them a little bit more clearly that they're just human beings that had some kids and they don't, and that maybe they, they probably never like learned how to, to, to be like a loving, compassionate parent. Yeah. And that will impact you in many totally. scenarios in in your platonic relationships in your romantic relationships in your working relationships you do um it does influence quite a bit about how you show up and how you expect others to treat you or how to treat others absolutely um speaking of nate he's jealous of roy being back you can see it 
Um, he's physically, like, physically reacting to it. Um, and anyway, I just, we know, <laughs> I get, I don't want to give away too much because, and we talk about Nate quite a bit, but um, one thing that we start seeing with Nate is that he's also very, he's seeking that praise. We talked about that. But he's also so sensitive to it, right? Like, so how this um, episode ends up is Roy has to have, like, this, like, heart-to-heart with Jamie and also with Ted there. It's like, Ted, you actually made Jamie a worse player by almost, Mm -hmm. like, over-coddling him. And, like, he's too much of a team player, if that's a thing. And you're actually not letting him shine when he's supposed to shine. You've basically muted him. So great job on making him not a jerk. But also we're losing because you've muted him. And Jamie, you have to learn when to tap into that super competitive spirit and take charge. Otherwise, like if like it's great that you're passing more huge win, but you don't have to pass all the time and you need (laughs) discernment. Right. And so he that's not exactly what Roy said. There was a lot more F-bombs in it. And but so in all that, there's something that we're we're watching a lot of gameplay. Uh, Jamie scores. And then right after that, Ted has a panic attack and runs off the field. And while the team's really confused, they don't know. They're saying it's like food poisoning, but they don't know what's happening. And in that, the, op- the other team scores. So now they're tied and they're panicking, right? Beard, Ted ran off. Beard, Roy, and Nate are like, what do we do now? What do we do now? And, and it's the first time you actually see Beard panic, right? Mm-hmm, that's true. And, and all of a sudden, Nate does that spit thing again. His little mm-hmm. power move. And like bucks himself up and like starts shouting like plays, right? Like trades, like swaps out three players to all these things. And Roy and T- Beard just stay back, right? They're like, they put their arms up like, yeah, let's let him take the lead. Okay. Team wins. Amazing. Amazing. Everyone's so happy. And Nate gets all this credit. Right. And he's like being he's blowing up on Twitter. Roy gives him credit, all this stuff. And you see his reaction to the like scrolling through the social media. And you're like, oh, uh," which already is dangerous. Like social media can be such a time suck and like messes with your mind and your self-perception or whatever. But you see you're like, "Uh oh, like it it, it means too much to him. So. Mm -hmm. Because he doesn't, he doesn't love himself. So therefore his worth is going to be determined by the voices that are on the internet. Yeah. Have you ever worked with someone who no matter how much praise you gave them, how many like good jobs, how many like high fives, they just still were really insecure. Oh yeah. Totally. And I've, yes, I, I mean, I think, I think that that is the, I had, I had a client, um, the other day and she had somebody on her team and we were actually talking about perfectionism. Like, Mm -hmm. like she, well, she was saying that, you know, like there was a person on her team. And so she would like, it was like really hard for her to take projects and run with them. And like, 
Anyways, I've, I've been noticing this theme of perfectionism come up a lot, whether it's like with people that I'm coaching or it's organizations. And I, I really think that one of the, the, the goals of leadership is, is helping people move past those kind of barriers in their mind. Mm -hmm. And I don't know if it's, I don't. So I think that you have to be really careful because you, there's always a fine line of like how you help people understand themselves and not become their therapist, right? Like, mm -hmm. and, and, and if you are a leader of a team, you have to be very careful not to become people's therapist, not to become the person that people are complaining to and telling you about every single thing that's happened to them their entire lives. But I do mm -hmm. think that you can help get them in the direction of being like your thoughts are coming from fear. They're not coming from truth. And you got to figure out how to get through that in your own way. Um, and to, and, or else you're not going to be at your best, right? Like mm -hmm. it's, it's a cycle. So, I mean, yeah. I think I would, I would say most people that I come in contact with are very hard on themselves. They're extreme perfectionists. And that is the biggest hurdle inside of humans working together is getting over, getting over those fears that are in their, in their mind. Yeah. I'm so curious to hear what you think about this topic. Yeah. Well, um, one, I am a recovering perfectionist. So as you describe sort of those things that people have to learn and accept and get past, um, I definitely can talk about that for a long time and, and how hard it was for me. But um, when I think about folks that might not feel appreciated, even when you're trying to show your appreciation, it reminds me of love languages and that everyone has Ooh. a different love language. And there are um, love, lang love languages, by the way, for folks who have never heard of this is like, there's different ways to express love, but also there's different preferences in how you like to receive it. So there's things like physical touch, quality time, acts of service, you know, a number of different things. And there are similar things, acts of love in the workplace. And so what I would try to do, like if for me, for example, my preferred love language is words of affirmation. Gosh, I cannot take enough <laughs> praise or compliments, flattery. I love it. I love it. I love it. it. I, I feel seen. Okay, great. But guess what? If I'm expressing my support of someone on my team through like, that was awesome. Good job. Blah, 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 blah. That's amazing. But their preferred love language is quality time spent together. And I never make it to our one-on-ones. I forget to join a meeting. I don't go to their big presentation or whatever. That person, no matter how many compliments and praise I give them, they are not feeling supported by me because that's their preferred love language. So one thing that I would try to do is in a way, like find out what that was. Great question. Totally. From, and everyone on your team is going to have slightly different preferences. You might have someone on your team that it's like, listen, you can tell me all the compliments you want, but unless you give me a raise, I'm not going to believe it. My preferred <laughs> love language is gifts, you know? Um, sure. Right. And so understanding what that is helps because that I think sometimes that's the, the miscommunication, right? And, and you've brought this up with Nate is that like, he's struggling. And even though people like, great job, Nate, great job, Nate, he might not be getting as much quality time with Ted 
or what have you. So there's something else that's not being received. He still, mm-hmm. after all this, does not feel loved. Totally. Um, yeah, no, that's really interesting. I've never thought, I don't think I ever talked about love languages with my team. I think that if that is too much for you too, that like, um, you know, feeling valued and feeling loved is pretty much the same feeling. Um, so if, if, if you're not comfortable with asking people for their love languages, if yeah. you ask them, <laughs> so guys, let's talk about love languages that I would. Listen, that's going to be like, that'll, that's like our future though. It's like, we're going to go to work and everyone's going to have this like crazy self-awareness. There's going to be like charts yeah, <laughs> of how people like to listen and learn and be loved. Like it's totally, yeah, it'll, it's going to be interesting. But I think if you could ask people like how, how they feel valued, like Absolutely. what makes you feel very valued at work, like you can, you can definitely get to the same, if you get to the and same it- result. And some people might not be able to name it, but pay attention to the times when they seem disappointed or upset. And it's like, okay, so what was it that I did? Or how about this? Tell me what I could have done differently for you to have felt valued. Was it, could I have, yeah. What could I have done differently? Okay. And then, and that'll give you a clue. That'll give you a clue. It's like, well, you didn't show up to my presentation. You're like, ah, okay. Even though you got a bonus, even though you got a raise, even though I gave you a compliment, you don't think I prioritize my time for you. Got it. Got it. You know, like, and that's, you can't hold that against them because they're, everyone's going to have different things. All right. Before we move on though, I, I did say that I was surprised when you brought up um, Rebecca's mom and I'm curious, did I go off on a tangent too quickly? Was there something behind that prompter question, Kara, knowing you? Well, I did want to ask you, I was thinking about, because I, well, if, if anyone doesn't know this about Virginia, she's an insane high achiever. So, um, and I am too, right? Like, I think we're, we're cut from the same cloth in a way, but you're cut from a different cloth of the same cloth. Does that make any sense? Um, so, but my question was like, whenever you see Nate, and I'll answer this for myself too, when you see Nate, like spit at himself and like be mean to himself, but still get good results, does that, does that connect with you in any way of like thinking about how you used to show up at work? Because I think that that might be a really, really interesting thing to unpack. Yeah. Like people who, who are not their authentic selves and they're not kind to themselves, but by through doing that, they actually get better results because that's what Nate did at the restaurant. And then we'll see, like, that's what starts to happen in his coaching practice as well. Yeah, absolutely. The, the, even, even the concept of what is your authentic self is, I think, so foreign to someone like Nate or, or me when I was sort of at my worst points because you, um, are one too scared to develop that on your own because you think there's a better version out there that you're aspiring to. So you're picking up from cues around you and signal mm-hmm. whether they're good signals or not. But, and this is why it's so important. Like, look, you can tell, you can say whatever your values are at a company, but if I were to look around and see who gets promoted and why, what does that tell me? That's what I'm going to go work off of, right? Because you've, you've given me the blueprint. And so when you have the blueprint, you, it's, it's really interesting because 
you kind of hate yourself for having to assimilate because you can feel that you are not being naturally yourself. And then you're upset with yourself because it's like, why doesn't this come naturally to me? I must not be a leader. But you're like hating mm. yourself that you're contorting yourself, but you're hating yourself that this doesn't come naturally. And there's a lot of dislike and there's a lot of discomfort, but you're like, okay. And I'm not saying it's fake, but there is something performative about it. You're like, this is what I'm being Definitely. asked to do and I'm stepping up to the challenge. So you're not intentionally going in there and being fake, but you are like putting on a good face kind of thing. Mm -hmm. um, you're putting like, it's, it's like you're, you're putting on a certain costume and you're going and playing that role. Shedding that is really, really hard because it does come, it's associated with shame. You're like, this should come mm -hmm. easier to me. Why haven't I achieved <laughs> this already? Why does this not feel good? Um, and what it takes a while to realize, oh, I can, I have my own strengths. I don't have to look at other people and wish I had their strengths. Um, and then I guess the last thing I'll say about this, people who are super hyper achievers, and you have this as well, is that it's very hard to just be happy with what you've achieved, which is funny because totally. as a hyperachiever, you would think that what makes you happy are your achievements. But no, you can never like look back and be proud of yourself for everything you've done. You're always like, okay, what's always next? looking forward? I'm not good enough. What's the next thing? The next thing, the next thing. And that means you're more prone to burnout. Like you're just not, you're probably working way too much. So you're just showing up tired and cranky and not your best self for your coworkers and your family and your friends. So yeah, there's, yeah, it's not great. It's not, a, it's not, I uh, don't recommend it. <laughs> yeah. Like when I think back on my time in my life, which was when I was in sales, I, I had, when I was in my early 20s, I worked 90 hours a week at my sales job, and I had a full load of grad school classes at the same time. Like it was, and but like I did, I had it in my head that I had to kill myself, and that was the only way to get ahead in life. Yeah. Right. Like it was almost like there was like a weird little military person that was living inside me, even though my parents are hippies. So I don't know where it came from, but <laughs> there was like this military person that was living inside of me that was like, grind, grind, grind. And, 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 you know, there, there were good things that came out of that. I had a lot of success, but like I always, but I think the success perpetuated me telling myself that I wasn't good enough and I had to do more and I had to do this and I had to win all these things. Um, and, and now as I'm older, I look back and like, I, 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 it's not that I hate that. I learned a lot from it, but it's mm -hmm. like, I wish I could have gone and been kinder to that girl. Right. Oh, like that, gr that girl, that girl needed a breather. Um, oh, and hundred percent. Yeah. But I, and then I think about it, I'm like, okay, well, would I have been as successful if I would have been myself and I would have been kinder? And I, I do think the answer is yes, but I, I, yeah, no, no, I would, I totally would have been, I totally would have been. That's like a well, fabrication in our own minds. But it's an interesting thing to think about is that whenever we are, like we get into these cycles of when we're really cruel to ourselves and then we overachieve and then we get rewarded for that overachievement. So it is like, it's affirming that our oh, behavior absolutely. towards ourselves was the right behavior. Right. Yeah. And then you get yourself into a cycle where you're spitting on yourself 
to move forward. <laughs> no, uh, yeah. Well, even how you kick this off with the the relationship between Rebecca and her mom and sort of who's the parent here, there is a lot to be said about um, if you don't, if you are not raised sort of in a affirming space right then where do you seek affirmation and and value and whatever um but then there's at at some point in your life maybe you were parenting your parent but at some point in your life you also have to reparent yourself so something you just said about like oh i you know if i could tell my younger self something there's yeah you are good enough you can spend time with your friends it doesn't make you a lazy person all these things that we would tell ourselves mm -hmm. and also but here's the other thing we should be telling our younger selves if we could talk to them is like thank you i know you really yeah, had a tough time sure. and you did the best with what you had and look at us now like it was tough we struggled but look how far we've come and i'm gonna take care of it from here yeah. Oh, ooh, that just gave me goosebumps. Oh, I know. <laughs> oh, sorry, baby KK. <laughs> oh. oh, my God. I got um, you now, girl. <laughs> Mama learned about yoga therapy. Don't even worry. <laughs> yeah. Look at us now. Remember when you only wanted to wear business suits, Virginia? Well, now we're into astrology. <laughs> Now it's really hard for you to go into business conversations and not talk about Reiki. So congratulations. Yeah. <laughs> um, anyway, all that to say, if you find yourself in that spot now, know that you can evolve. <laughs> yeah. You don't have to stay there. And like the the achievements that and because if I take this back to leadership, I I think that a lot of times that leaders don't want to adjust their style because they might have they might have been rewarded and and given achievements throughout their life because they've been hard and micromanaging and like made this really psychologically unsafe environment right and then then you have someone like me that comes along and it's like hey your team would actually be better <laughs> if you used inclusive processes they're like. Bleh. But like, I would have never had any success if I would have done that. And it's like, no, that's, that's not true. Like you can be a good person and still achieve success, oh right? You just reminded me of this one client who <laughs> will remain nameless, <laughs> but once said to me, and listen, Virginia, I just want to give you a couple of rules before you work with us. We don't use the C word around here. I was like, whoa, I don't either. Oh, my God. Like, why? <laughs> who, who is dropping the C word? He's like, culture. Okay. I don't want to hear any of that fluff. <laughs> I don't want to hear any of that, any of that fluff culture. Just make us okay. innovative. I was like, oh, cool. Oh, okay. Cute. If, cute. cute. Yeah. You don't think Goodbye. innovative. <laughs> okay. He's connected to your culture. All right. Let's talk about it. Let's talk about some brain science. Are you open to that, sir? No, no. <laughs> I am. Okay, I'm going to go off on a slight tangent really quick. So um, I, I put up this TikTok recently about stack ranking, and it was just answering a question to somebody who didn't understand HR stuff. And I was talking about, you know, like it's something that Jack Welch created. And then somebody put into my comments, have you read this new book on him? And it's called The Man Who Broke Capitalism. Yeah. Holy shit. Okay. Yeah. So not only is this crap that 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 people subscribe to 
like just nonsense and they should be able to figure it out on their own. But like they, they use everything that GE did back in the eighties and nineties and the crazy success that they had as justification. Like I have to lay off all these people. I have to fire the bottom 10% because it makes a performance culture. Right. So like in this, it was okay. By the way, GE, they had a crazy growth in the eighties and nineties because a lot of companies did because of deregulation, a lot of different things. Right. But it was all lies. Like they were cooking the books. He basically, like whenever, whenever Jack Welch left, there was no innovation in the company anymore. They weren't building anything. They had turned it into a financial institution. And then like whenever the bottom dropped out in 2008, like the whole company collapsed and all of his proteges went off to companies like Albertsons and like Boeing and like all these different places and ran those companies into the ground. So like none of the stuff worked, but but corporations to this day cannot get away from it. And it's just, it's insane. Yeah. N- not only that, th- I mean, the man is still idolized. And I think you mentioned this when you were um, sharing snippets of that book. It's like business school. He- he's still being taught in business school as the perfect case study for leading a company and all these things. Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, anyway. go listen, if like, I think that if you are in a position where you can influence HR at all about the kind of stuff that they just accept and don't question, like ask some questions about what are, if, where are these beliefs, what are these beliefs grounded in? Like try to peel that onion a little bit. And if you hear people say, well, people will get complacent, they'll get lazy. Like if we don't, you know, if if we don't fire all the low performers, hey, guess what? First of all, human beings are horrible judges of each other. So that the people you should be firing are actually probably getting promoted. <laughs> like <laughs> Like get to the bottom of like where that belief is. And if you figure out that it's rooted in somebody that like went to business school in the nineties and it's all Welchism, like give them that book or something. I don't know. I don't know. That's how we fix the world folks. Education. Yeah. And just like, you know, my complaint with capitalism, it's rooted in scarcity, this mindset, scarcity mindset. And brings us back to Nate. <laughs> if, he just believed, if he just believed in an, had an abundant mindset, not a scarcity mindset, he wouldn't always feel threatened. Okay. I do want to, um, we have gone on so many tangents, which I love because I think they're all very good, but um, we are coming to an end and I want to squeeze in one more thing, the Higgins beard mm. conversation before we wrap up. And here's why that stuck out to me. And I know you had um, a response to it too, but um I, what stuck out to me about the Higgins beard thing. So we, we mentioned that beard and Jane are on again, off again, and we can't really tell if it's a healthy relationship or not. Um, everyone doesn't think it is, but is too scared to say anything. And Higgins is the only one that feels like because we care about beard, we should probably tell him we're concerned. And everyone's like, don't, don't get into his business. What stuck out to me was. I had this like flashback of being the only one to speak up about things Mm. at work, knowing that everyone around me agreed, but then no one like agreed with me in the meeting and pretended to disagree because they didn't want to be seen as negative or whatever. And the things I was raising would be like, hey, do we think we're like, diverse enough you know like it wasn't <laughs> like you know th- these were g- important things to be raising like hey if we do that don't we think we're gonna like hurt our brand like they weren't terrible you know what i mean but then 
no one would back me up in that meeting. And I remember feeling like Higgins, like what just happened? Like, I know you all agree with me. You just like kind of left me out there. Anyway, that's what stuck out to me. And um, he then took it upon himself to say, fine, if I'm the only one that is brave enough to give this feedback because I care about Beard, I'm willing to take the consequences, but I care about him too much. And I think that like what you just said, I mean, first of all, that probably happens 24 seven, except there's not a lot of people like you that are brave enough to actually address what's going on. But what we see is that Higgins is kept keeps being like, are we going to address this? Are we going to address this? Are we going to address this? And you see everyone's fears come out. Like Ted doesn't address things, right? Rebecca's like has mommy issues. So she's like, well, you know, and we see this in this episode, like I don't address things because they're just going to keep happening anyways. And by the way, I hear that from clients and people that I, um, you know, I, I teach all the time. Like I don't want to have that conversation with my employee because it doesn't matter. It's not going to go anywhere. Right. Like that's a, that is a mental model that we have in our head. That's something that we tell ourselves. So we keep seeing everybody's excuses about why they don't tell someone they care about the truth. And then, and then Higgins actually does. And then, you know, he has a good result. He actually probably forms more trust with Beard and strengthens that, strengthens that relationship more than he could in any other way. Yeah. Yeah. We want to be told the truth. Like we, like people want to be told the truth. Yeah. And he did it in a very kind way, in a very Higgins way. He cared personally and challenged directly. (laughs) Absolutely. Radical candor. (laughs) Bringing it back. Um, All right, everybody. Well, this was chock full of things, surprises that I didn't even expect. Um, We hope you enjoyed it and we'll see you next time. Thanks for listening, everybody. And we want to keep the conversation going. Share your leadership stories with us, whether they're dreams come true or some nightmares you want to talk through. You can visit us at poponleadership.com or over at Instagram at poponleadership. And a very special thanks to our friends and family who have supported us from the beginning and to Pam Rodriguez, who helped make this crazy dream a reality. Thank you. See you next time.